This is episode 51 of the Popcast. Welcome to the Popcast, a weekly podcast all about pop culture in three regular segments. We're your hosts, Maureen and Josh Goldman. Welcome back, Maureen. Season two of the Popcast is officially underway. Woohoo! We made it. We made it to Thanks season two. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, we had a great response to our first full season, so thank you all for listening. And we have this Friday episode and then one more Friday episode next week. Then we're going to be taking a two-week break, and then we'll be back with our new Monday episodes starting in July. Pretty exciting, huh? Very exciting. Maureen, I do want to give our listeners an update. We had a little bit of an invasion in our home. Oh my gosh, it's been traumatic, you guys. We had... We had. We have. We still have. We thought we They're might have solved the They're currently building problem. like houses right now. So we have a little ant problem. It's right at our front door. So, you know, you open the front door and there's a horde of ants. We've lived in this place for several years and we have never had this problem. Our garbage can has always been in the same spot, literally right inside the door. And it wasn't until two days ago that Josh... <laughs> alerted me to the fact that we have it's like you can see a stream of ants it's like straight up like they're they're like from like halfway down the hall outside of our house like all the way in it's just upsetting and what's funny is i looked up home remedies for getting rid of ants and one of them said sprinkle cinnamon outside you know where the the ants are coming in so i sprinkled cinnamon and then maureen informed me that this morning the ants had just made a little pathway it was actually kind of cool they made a little pathway through the cinnamon it did not work so to our listeners, if you have home remedies, we don't really want to be spraying Raid everywhere, but if you have home remedies to get rid of ants, please let us know so that we can rid our house of the ant problem. Caleb, though, has been very excited. He said, can I see the ants? We've, like, cleaned our entire trash can. We've cleaned, like... The whole house. Like, with, with bleach. The, the whole house. We've cleaned, like, with bleach products, like, the area around the trash can, the area inside the door. I was scrubbing the area outside of the door. And they are still coming. We even put little ant traps down. Yeah. And they're still here. So listeners, please help us out if you can. With that out of the way, Maureen, should we jump into the snack bag? Let's do it. First snack bag topic this week. Maureen, you are familiar with the the trilogy of books and movies, The Hunger Games, right? Yeah. So you guys, actually, this is a fun fact for our listeners. Many of you may not know this, but Josh and I met doing a community theater show. And during this musical, Josh gave me the first book of The Hunger Games, which is what we're about to talk about. And he was like, yeah, you were like, you should read this. It's really good. And I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. And I didn't read it. And then when the show finally ended, Josh was like, so about Hunger Games, have you read it? And I was like, oh, okay. And so I started reading it and I loved it. And then I like devoured all of them. But it was you, Josh, who introduced me to it. Okay, I will fully take credit for that. I don't remember that at all. But now that you've reminded me... You were me, like really into the books and you wanted me to be really into the books. Well, I'm glad that we were both into the books. So the reason that this is coming up again is because there is a Hunger Game prequel on the way. Suzanne Collins, who wrote the original trilogy, is going back to Pan Am, the fictional world of the Hunger Games. And we're going to get another book. And it's going to be set 64 years before the events of the very first novel, The Hunger Games. And there's some speculation about who it's going to focus on. It might be a character we've seen in the Hunger Games trilogy, so we'll just have to wait and see. But, you know, at first when I saw this news, I was like, "Ah, do we really need to go back to this? Does she really need to keep dipping into the same well? But you know what? I'm actually kind of excited. I I will read this book. I think I'll read it. Yeah, I didn't have a negative reaction to this at all. I was kind of like, cool, I'm excited to see what happens. And this article, which we'll link in the show notes, 
it talks about why she wanted to write this book, which she's interested in exploring like nature and like what we really need for survival. And she thinks that like, you know, in this part of Pan Am's history, like after the, 10 years after the big war, that this would be a time when those citizens were figuring that out. And I think that's really interesting. I will definitely give it a read. I'm sure you will as well. I wish we could put it on hold at the library right now, but we can't. We, so we, I have gotten Josh really into checking out books at the library. I do paperbacks and hardcovers, but like physical books as well as audiobooks through the library. And I like love it. But the problem is really popular books you'll wait forever for. Should we tell our listeners? I don't know if I want to admit this on the podcast, but I think I will. It's, it's kind of a fun story. I used to have my own library card. But I racked up so many fines. Yeah, and that you're starting to rack them up on mine. I, not not really. I've racked up a little bit. I had so many fines that I was worried they were going to put a picture of me in the library and say, do not let this man anywhere near the books because he's not paying his fines. So I just used Maureen's account to check out books. I mean, it wasn't that many. It was like $30. But that's a, that's a lot for library fines. Yeah, it's like I mean, 10 it's, cents a day. Yeah, so I must have had a book forever. Well, tell them also what happened. You found the series of book. What, didn't Zach, host of Vernacular Podcast, recommend it? to you this mystery series oh yeah yeah it's a, it's not really a series series but it's the same character through a bunch of different books yeah and you couldn't read them fast enough. like basically yeah, josh i'm a slow reader couldn't it's not that you're a slow reader it's just that you don't read every day you like don't make time for it but basically josh would check out a book and then he couldn't renew it because so many other people wanted to like there was a wait list for it so josh i one only day, did this i only did this yeah, for one book and it didn't work no, I bought the book and I was going to return it. He came home it. and he was like, I just bought it. And I was like, why would you buy this fiction book that you're only ever going to read once? And he was like, well, because I had to return it to the library, but I'm just going to read it and then maybe return it. Well, we own the book now and you haven't finished it. I still haven't finished it, but I'm almost finished. I'm on the, you know, the last third of the book. Our second snack bag topic this week. I read this kind of cute article on BuzzFeed about Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard. Maureen has talked about how she's a listener of Dax Shepard's podcast, I am a self-proclaimed Kristen Bell fan all the way back to Veronica Mars. And so this article was about how Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard's children just realized, you know, they're, they're young, but they just realized that their parents are famous. Like they knew that their parents were actors for work. They knew that they'd seen them on TV and they, they knew that their mom was the voice of Anna in Frozen. So they had an awareness of that, but they didn't really understand this, this concept of fame. And so, you know, they were talking to Dax one day and, and they were saying, you know, why do so many people listen to your podcast? And he said, well, because I'm famous. And their first reaction was, does mom know? Does she know you're famous? And he said, well, you know, mom's more famous than I am. And so they just couldn't really wrap their heads around this concept. And then they started to think that everybody in their family was famous as well, including their grandma, who they call Gaga, which is a funny coincidence because our son Caleb calls Maureen's mom Gaga. And so they started seeing Lady Gaga during this past award season, you know, getting all of her accolades for A Star is Born. And they started to think that people were clapping for their grandma because they kept saying Gaga, you know, was doing so well in all of these awards. I just love it. What did you think of this this little story? It's just so perfect. Kids just... Everything is just only what touches them in their little worlds. And I just love it. I love watching life through the eyes of children. I think that that was what I liked most about it, because especially if you have kids or if you know people who have kids and you know them well, it's so fun to watch the world through their eyes because literally everything that they don't know about is new to them. I mean, we take it for granted at this at this stage in our life, but we know most things. 
and we'll never experience what they experience. So I thought that this was a really funny thing, this concept of fame that they have no reference point for, and now they've realized that their parents are pretty famous. Thought that was pretty cute. Our last snack bag topic, this is a a pretty quick one, but I saw this news today that there's going to be a new movie musical, the musical Tick, Tick, Boom, which is from the creator of Rent, Jonathan Larson. He actually wrote this musical before Rent. He then put it aside, and then he he was doing Rent. He actually died right when, when Rent was going up on Broadway, which is a very sad story. And then this musical was sort of resurrected after he had passed away at the age of 36, and it became sort of a cult hit. And so now they're going to make a movie of it, and it's going to be directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, which is interesting, I guess. I don't, I don't really know if he has much directorial experience. But the thing that really caught my eye is that they're looking to have it star Andrew Garfield, who is a, a really good actor. But Does he sing? Yeah, that's the question I had. Does he sing? I mean, Maureen and I have talked about this on the podcast well, before. Well, hey, Jake Gyllenhaal sings, and I didn't expect that. Well, Jake Gyllenhaal can actually sing well. I don't know. Can't, if Andrew Garfield can't sing, I am not on board with this. I think Andrew Garfield has been really good in everything I've seen him in, so I have high hopes. I just don't know if he can sing or not. And if someone else does his singing, how will you feel about it? I will hate that. I don't like dub singing. Although that goes back all the way to like, you know, Marnie Nixon singing for Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady. So it is what it is. It's not new. I guess that's your it's point. It's not new. Although Audrey Hepburn, just so we set the record straight... They told her she could sing her own stuff. She like worked on it and worked on it. Was taking voice lessons and recorded and what everything. They decided they didn't like it as much, and they've got so someone they to dubbed do it. her after the yeah. fact. Yeah. Wow, that is hard. I'm pretty sure somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty positive. Well, you know what? She had a pretty great career. So yeah, she did fine. But we can't but feel she at least tried. Like it wasn't like she was like, oh, I can't sing. Just dub me. All right. Well, we'll see how it is. There's no word on when this movie is going to be shot or or released, but you know, I'm sure we'll see it. We're musical fans, so we will let you know how it is once we do see it. Okay, that will about do it for the snack bag this week. For the premiere topic this week, we are talking about the OG Pixar film, the one that started it all way back in 1995, just a mere 24 years ago. Of course, I'm talking about Toy Story. Sergeant? Yes, sir. Establish a recon post downstairs. Code Red, repeat. We are at Code Red. Recon plan, Charlie. Execute. Move, 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 move. It's a... It's a big one. Walt Disney Pictures presents a totally new animated motion picture event. Star Command, come in. Do you read me? The story of two toys. Oh, there seems to be no sign of intelligent life anywhere. Hello? Oh, yeah. Headed for a showdown. My name is Woody. This is my spot. I am Buzz Lightyear. I come in peace. You are a child's plaything. You are a sad, strange little man. This holiday season, the adventure takes off when toys come to life. To infinity and beyond. Toy Story. So why are we talking about that movie today on the podcast this week? Well, because the fourth installment in the franchise hits theaters today, June 21st, 2019. So I thought it would be fun to revisit the film that kicked off really a new era in animated filmmaking. So here's a little background on the original film before we get started with our discussion. It was the first entirely computer animated feature film. It was directed by John Lasseter and was written by at least four different screenwriters and a few others who have story credit. One of the screenwriters was Joss Whedon, who went on to create Buffy the Vampire Slayer and write and direct the first two Avengers films. That's kind of a fun fact. And the film, of course, stars Tom Hanks as the toy Sheriff Woody, 
and Tim Allen as Buzz Lightyear. In my internet research for this topic, it sounds like the production was really a huge disaster all the way up until it was released. The script underwent numerous changes throughout production, entire characters were rewritten, and it sounds like it was an incredibly tense process to make the film. In fact, the actors came in, recorded lines, Tom Hanks thought his character of Woody was like a really terrible, you know, like character, really mean, and they rewrote almost the entire character and then they brought him back in to record lines again. No one was really sure how the film would perform once it was released, but as is a surprise to exactly no one at this point, the movie did extremely well. It made $350 million worldwide. It was nominated for two Golden Globes and three Oscars, including Best Screenplay. Maureen and I rewatched the film last night. Comes in at a brief 82 minutes, which I was incredibly surprised about when we were getting ready to watch it. So the first thing I want to talk about is what was your impression of the film on the rewatch? So before I give my impression, I just want to say, you guys, when Josh and I were watching this, he was like, yeah, I was like, why are we watching Toy Story? And he was like, oh, the new one comes out. It's been 24 years. And my first question was, what? How old am I? Like, how I like I remember this coming out when I was a kid. Like, has it been 24 years? And the answer is, yes, it has. I'm older than I remember. I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm still like 14. But anyway, this film, I just feel like was such a like, I remember it being a part of my childhood. I wasn't like a super fan or anything. But like, Toy Story was a a thing, you know, like we all had, I had the slinky dog toy, which Josh said he did too, which was really funny that out of all the characters, that's the one we both got. But I was actually in the grocery store today. And they have all of the like they have a kiosk for Toy Story 4 and it's all the same characters and they were all in like little boxes and I was like, this is amazing that this franchise has lasted for 24 years. So that's my shock and awe. I had no idea. It feels like it was like five years ago. Yeah, I thought the movie holds up pretty well. I thought it, it was still enjoyable. It's funny. I think there's some things that you catch when you're an adult watching it that you don't. There's a lot of fun puns in there. Yeah. Within the first like five minutes, I think I said out loud, I was like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of like jokes in here that I never got clearly when yeah, I was a like kid. Yeah, like little Bo Peep is saying to, to Woody at one point, <laughs> she says, uh, oh, I just live a few blocks away and she's standing next to like toy stacking blocks. I mean, that it's just like that yeah. kind of clever writing that that appears throughout the entire film. You know, my impression was that it's it's still really good. I think it still holds up as one of the best Pixar movies. At this point, we've had 22 Pixar movies. I've seen most, and it still holds up as one of the, the best ones, I think. Yeah, I definitely think it still holds up too. There's one big exception that I have, which I would that may be a future question, so I'll hold on that for now. But I think overall, still really enjoyable. The first, I will say the first like time we see the people, the animated people, I was like, whoa, they look kind of busted. But once you get used to that, as in this was made 24 years ago, that's the best animation at the time. Obviously now animation is a lot more lifelike. So that at first was a bit jarring, but after like 10 minutes, I was fully in the world again and it held up. Well, here's a fun fact about why they chose to make a movie about toys as the first computer animated film. And the reason is because toys don't have a lot of extra texture. So when you think about a toy, you think of something that's plastic and things don't really move that much. So you don't have a lot of moving parts on the toys. Things like hair, things like water, all of those things are incredibly difficult to animate. And so that's why they had to wait a couple that's years so cool. to do something like Monsters, Inc., where you can see the hair moving on Sully. 
and they had to wait a little while to do something like Finding Nemo that was entirely done underwater. So that's why they chose something that they could portray as accurately as possible. And I think that's one of the reasons why it holds up because they were doing something that they knew they could execute really well. I think the thing that surprised me most on the rewatch, and this is the second thing I wanna discuss, is that this movie, unlike other Pixar films, I think that we think about nowadays, doesn't have as much like emotion to it. I mean, there's definitely some emotional moments, but I think some of the best Pixar movies we think about when we think about Up and we think about Wally and we think about Finding Nemo, there's these really deep emotional moments in the film. This one really is sort of like a broad buddy comedy. It's really a story about Woody and Buzz, and it doesn't really have the kind of heart that the other ones have. Now, it does have a heart to it. I I don't want to make it sound like they, they don't they don't play up those emotional parts like I think that they're there I think Woody goes on his own journey of being the favorite toy and then Buzz comes in as the new toy Woody's really jealous and he goes through this journey about that but there's no what I mean by that is there's no but there's never a moment of like he breaks down and he has an epiphany and he realizes it and he it's much more like surface level Well, I mean, you think about a movie like Inside Out, which came out a couple years ago, and it was, you know, well into the Pixar world. And that was a movie about emotions and about how you deal with... emotional intelligence wasn't as much of a thing in 1995. At least I don't... No, I, I don't think they could have started at the place where they are now. What I'm saying is that's what surprised me most about this movie is if you would have asked me before I rewatched it, does it have like an emotional finale? I would have said definitely. But it, it really has sort of like an action-packed finale, and then it just sort of ends on a happy note, but there's nothing that's really tugging at your heartstrings. And that's what I think you come to expect now from Pixar, mm. and that's not something that was really present in the first film. Not that it should be, but it was just something that surprised me when we watched it again. Anything surprise you stand out? So one of the big kind of standout things to me that I don't think held up over time was the villain character in Toy Story, which is... Well, I mean, Woody's a villain for part of it. You know, they kind of go. But there's basically this one bad kid, and his name is Sid. A human kid. A human kid. He's the neighbor. And he's he's portrayed in a way that I don't think that they would portray a kid now. He's portrayed as very extreme. He likes to disfigure and dismember and blow up toys, right? So he's kind of like a toy destroyer. He's like a little bit, he's like a little sociopath. Or that's yeah. how they portray him he in, has the, in like, the film. He has you know, pictures on his, posters on his wall that say, I heart explosives. And he's very mean to his sister and mean to the toys. And he has no redeeming quality. Like, you never get a moment with him where he feels remorse or anything. He's just this one note, like, I like to destroy things. And he sleeps in his shoes. Yeah, in Josh his was bed. very upset. Horrible. But anyway, I just think that that now, like, I kept watching that being like, this is really like a bad example for kids. Like, I wouldn't necessarily want my child seeing this as like, that's a normal way of being. It was also very just interesting to me to think, well, in 1995, was that pre some of the school-aged violence that we've seen, unfortunately, in our recent history? I think that that character just didn't hold up well over time. I think that he was portrayed in too extreme of a way, given what we have seen play out in our history. And I think that if this was to be remade, I think he would need to be softened or he would need to go through his own character arc where he realized some of his behaviors were wrong or he received help for processing some of his emotions. I don't know. I'm getting too deep into this now, but basically I just watched it and I was like, that kid is a really extreme and negative example. And I don't think that he should have such a prominent role in a kid's movie. Well, I think the reason you probably thought most about it is because now that we have a child you're thinking about this is a kid's movie 
on its surface. And so you're thinking about potentially showing it to your child one day and you see potential issues. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the character is pretty one note. He's very just like he's bad, but he does get a little bit of a comeuppance at the end. I mean, the toys come to life in front of him. He gets freaked out. We don't really see what happens to him after that, whether he changes his ways because of that. We just see him get scared and then run away and the toys have this victory moment. But yeah, I totally see what you're saying. Do you have a favorite character in the movie? And and I want to preface this by saying you can't pick Woody or Buzz because those are obvious choices. So I'm asking, do you have a character that, that stands out as one of the supporting members of the cast? I'll go first and give you mine. The one that stood out to me, especially when we rewatched the film, is the character of Rex, the the dinosaur. And this is voiced by an actor named Wallace Shawn, who was in The Princess Bride. Inconceivable! The character is so good. And, and what I really like about the character of Rex is that he's a fully drawn supporting character. He goes through his own little mini arc of, you know, he's worried at first that, that Andy, the human that, that has him, is going to get another dinosaur toy and that he's going to be forgotten about. And then by the end of the movie, he's sort of come full circle and he's like, I'm okay if there's another dinosaur, you know, especially if it's a plant eater because he's a T-Rex. And I just think not only is the character well-drawn, and I mean that both literally, like the character animation is good and he's written very well, but the voice acting is also great. And it just made me chuckle several times throughout the movie. Yeah, I thought you were either going to pick Rex or Mr. Potato Head. I might pick Mr. Potato Head. I think Mr. Potato Head and the piggy bank play kind of the same role and that they're both kind of like instigators and call people out and have a lot of puns. I think Mr. Potato Head shines a little bit more in that area. And I also especially just love at the end when he finally gets a, like the little sister gets a Mrs. Potato Head and he's like, you know, come. It's just funny to me. I had a Mr. Potato Head when I was younger too. And so it was fun to be able to like have the toy that you saw in the movie and be able to do the same thing. So like change his hat and change his shoes and whatever. I will also say there was a moment with Mr. Potato Head that I noticed last night as an adult that I've never noticed. And it's not even a a verbal moment. It's just something you see. But there's a point where Woody's kind of like the leader and Slinky is like his, you know, man's best friend. He's his little dog. And so Slinky's like defending him. And everyone else is disagreeing with Woody. And there's, a, did you notice this last night? Mr. Potato Head, Slinky's like, come on, guys. Like, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Mr. Potato Head pulls off his lips and starts putting them on his butt, like sucking up. I watched this and I was like, I'm sure that's in there just for the adults. Like, he doesn't say anything. But I was like, oh my gosh, like, that's pretty ballsy for them to, to do that. I wonder if any of the kids picked up on it. I certainly never did until last night. So I guess the last thing about this movie, do you think that the film holds up 24 years later in terms of execution, story, and enjoyment? Yes. I mean, overall, I think it's a thumbs up. I think there's lots of things I could nitpick apart or whatever, but the bottom line is, is this still an enjoyable movie to watch? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think it holds up as well. And I think that if nothing else, even if you don't love the story, you don't think the animation is as good as it is now, which it's obviously not because of the way technology changed, this movie was revolutionary. This movie started an entire new style of animation in feature-length filmmaking that you hadn't seen before. And so without Toy Story sort of leading the way, you wouldn't have gotten any of the other great Pixar movies or a movie like Shrek or a movie like Frozen. I mean, all of these movies come to life because of Toy Story first. And I will say that Toy Story is the very first movie I can ever remember seeing in theaters. There may have been one that I saw before, but I have a distinct memory of seeing this movie in theaters, waiting outside of the movie theater to go inside, 
and so it will always hold a special place in my heart. Well, if you go out to see Toy Story 4 this weekend, let us know what you thought. I'm going to try to see it, and I will report back on the podcast next week how I liked it. Maureen has given me the blessing to go without her. She'll watch it at some point, I'm sure, when it comes out on video, but I will let you know what I thought of it. Let's move on to teasers. Maureen, my teaser is an HBO show called Chernobyl. It's probably the best thing that I've watched on television in a long time. It's a five-episode miniseries about the nuclear disaster at Chernobyl. It was created and written by a screenwriter named Craig Mazin, and every episode was directed by a man named Johan Renk. It stars Jared Harris, Stellan Skarsgård, and Emily Watson, and it's just incredibly well-crafted. The, the cinematography is great. The writing is excellent. The acting is amazing, and the story keeps you hooked for five straight episodes. It is not easy to watch because of the content. I, I told Maureen I didn't think she would like it. I mean, there are some yeah, very... I, ha- I haven't watched this one. There are some very brutal scenes depicted. I mean, it was a very horrific event. But if you can get past that, it is an excellent, excellent piece of television and is really fascinating to think about when you start to delve into the repercussions of a Soviet Union that was so restrictive on the amount of information that it let go out to the rest of the world. So I highly recommend it. It's on HBO. It's well worth a free trial if you don't have HBO, but I definitely think that that's one thing you should watch. Maureen, what is your teaser this week? My teaser is a movie called Instant Family, which was delightful. It stars Rose Byrne and Mark Wahlberg. And it's about this couple who are married and they flip houses together and they're very happy and they never really thought they'd have kids. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, maybe we want to do some foster care and like, you know, help some kids who really need it. And they end up fostering a series of three kids, two sisters and a brother. And it's just hilarious. It's very funny. There are very touching moments. Josh and I both teared up at different points. But there are also some like laugh out loud slapsticky type moments. I'm thinking about one involving ketchup <laughs> for any of you who have seen this movie. But I highly recommend it. It's on Redbox now. So pick it up for a dollar or two and have a fun, you know, night at home laughing on the couch. All right. I think that will do it for this week. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be back soon with a new episode. You can leave us feedback, comments, or questions on each episode by going to vernacularpodcast.com slash poppedcast. We would love to hear from you. You can also reach us by emailing thepoppedcast at vernacularpodcast.com. Please also subscribe, rate, and review our show on your podcast app of choice so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back next week, as always, sitting cross-legged on our bedroom floor with a brand new episode. Bye, everybody. Bye. Anything else on Toy Story before we move on? Okay, I have one more thing. Is like kind of a weird thing I noticed as an adult. The mom takes Andy and his little sister to a pizza place. And they get in the car. And the baby is in the car seat, facing front, in the front seat. What? Andy, the like, you know, seven or eight-year-old, is in the back seat. And the mom and the baby... Front seat, passenger seat, makes no sense, wouldn't have made sense in 1995, doesn't make sense now. I don't know. Check your facts, Toy Stories. You need more working moms working on that film because they would have been like, um, the baby goes in the back seat.